The Right Hook Podcast. With the Mitsubishi Outlander Business, the two-seater commercial SUV with over 2,000 litres of cargo space, two-ton towing capacity and legendary four-wheel drive technology. Mitsubishi Motors.ie. Happy Wednesday. George Hook here uh, with The Right Hook on Newstalk. Here are some of the best bits that you might have missed on today's programme. Uh, well, George had just sent his form. I didn't see mine yesterday. Uh, I had a look, uh, but I didn't notice it. And when I left this morning, it wasn't there. So maybe it's on the way. The uh, Humanist Society Association of Ireland aren't happy with the wor- with the religion question on the census, and uh, it's framed, they say, in such a way that presumes people have religious belief. Here's their director, Terry Flynn. The question itself is is very unclear. Basically, the question asks what your religion is. It doesn't ask whether you have a religion. Then the answers go on to be uh, denominations rather than religions. According to the census, they, they, they ask the question on behalf of the government. So other uh, government departments use it in their policy making and decisions. They use it in uh, education. They use it in hospitals and services that are supplied to the general population. So really the question should be, what religion do you want used in government policy or to deliver government services? What kind of a question is that? Like, I, I must say, um, I, I have no brief for any religious faith, but they want to find out um, what people have really of religious faith are in the country. And then there's a question which says, no religion. And you tick that box. And then there's another box which says, other. So if your particular religion isn't listed, you can simply tick other or no religion. I just don't know what they're getting on about. Is this the usual thing again of the minority telling the majority what they must do? It's got nothing to do with the Catholic Church or the Church of Ireland or anybody else. It's to, be, it's to do with everybody of faith. It's to do with Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, Sikhs, uh, and everything else. And just like this thing is, we, we, must, we, we must object uh, to these questions. Just drives me batty sometimes. And of course, they're given out because the first one is Roman Catholic. And he, there are tons of people uh, will tick Roman Catholic. You don't have to go to Mass every Sunday uh, to count yourself as a Roman Catholic. Um, you could be a Roman Catholic in your beliefs. Uh, certainly, I'd tell you, when you go into a, into a hospital and they ask you what you are, I bet most of you, and you can tell me, 53106, I bet most of you say Roman Catholic. You don't say other or no religion. I'd be interested. You'd be a great help to me if you told me uh, what you think. 53106. Now, the talks are continuing on trying to get a government. It's now becoming uh, a pain in the proverbial butt. Um, the Green Party walked out of talks. Now, the Green Party under Raymond Ryan were the ones who said, we'll talk to everybody and blah, 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 blah. Why did it walk out? Anyway, here's what Eamon Ryan had to say. The numbers dictate that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have to get together. And, and uh, uh, while this process is very useful and we respect everyone involved, that still is the case. The numbers dictate where the actual possibility of, of stable government lies. We were very keen to try and get other parties in. We were hopeful if it, if it was going to be a rainbow coalition alternative, that that could work. But it has to be a rainbow. You know, you need other parties to engage. Well, hold a while now, uh, Eamon. There are two of you. 
you know, whether there's a government or not, I uh, would suggest it doesn't depend on whether we have two Green Party or not. Uh, I'm going to come back to this in a moment because Sinn Féin's Waterford TD, David Cullinan, has a suggestion about how we might get a government. It's simple mathematics that the only two parties which have the numbers to form a government are Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. And whatever about their pre-election statements on government, their policies are exactly the same. So there's no policy reason why those parties cannot form a government or well, um, the the uh, why is Sinn Féin so eager to see him to get together? Is Sinn Féin are eager to see Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael together for their own personal political advantage because that would make them the biggest opposition party. It's nothing to do with Sinn Féin wanting what's best for the country. Why uh, is everybody so desperate to get Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael together? Like, the problem for Sinn Féin is not that Sinn Féin won't go into government. It's because nobody will go into government with Sinn Féin. And that immediately rules out uh, the best part of of, uh, a fifth or a sixth of the government, of, of the TDs in the dole. I uh, I must say I was really interested in Michael Healy Ray's reaction. This is what he told reporters. Next week, the bit of prevarication of the the T-shirt going out. Maybe the the president telling him, "Oh, look, go away and try again." I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that the polling day will be the twentieth of May if the politicians of Ireland don't rise out. Get their act together, and 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 do their job of work, and that is try and put a government together. All right, uh, I think more on that at five o'clock, twentieth May, uh, Ingrid's birthday, and she has a vote now. She voted in her first ever general election this year. She was thrilled with herself. After 47 years, uh, she finally got a vote. She didn't tell me how she voted. I must ask her. Anyway, you're all going mad about the census. Uh, it immediately asks if you're Roman Catholic. Well, who cares what it asks first? I, I, you know, I, I just the census form also must have some relevance with the previous census. If they put out a completely new census form, then how do you compare 2016 with 2011? And Michael would say atheist if he was asked. Fine, well done. What about Catholic as opposed to Roman Catholic? Do you know the difference, George? I absolutely do know the difference. There are the uh, Eastern Rite of the Catholic Church. There are also Anglicans who consider themselves Catholics, but not Roman Catholics. In other words, Catholics who owe allegiance to the Pope. Uh, is that okay? If that's not okay, send me a text. Uh, some will say Protestant, uh, no religion, uh, says down in Dublin. So they're all there. Barry is right. These humanists are simply so sensitive. And when I go to hospital, which is often, I say I'm Christian, says Frieda from Red Cross. Owen says, I don't think this is a major issue. It lists the proper religions. And if you can't identify with the popular religions, sorry, Owen, the popular religions. And if you don't identify, you can say. I actually say uh, that it isn't a big deal. And I uh, 
uh, I thank you all in huge reaction and numbers uh, talking to me about this. I think we should do something about this, but it's a very important text that I want to look at, but I can't get my machine to work. Oh, got it, got the machine to work. Sorry about that. Um, the the uh, Paul says, as a retired member of the Defence Forces, I am extremely disappointed with your flippant slicing of being uncomfortable seeing Defence Forces so prominent in parade last Sunday. Please apologise. No, I won't apologise. Uh, uh, but he wants me. He wants me to apologise for the gratuitous offence caused to the memory of eighty-six soldiers killed on UN peacekeeping alone. I expected more. I have on countless o- occasions uh, talked about soldiers killed on peacekeeping duties, and I also more than many people might know. I remembered the commander of the first uh, UN soldiers killed. His name was Gleason. Um, if I'm wrong on that, Paul, you could tell text me at 53106. What I said was that I thought it was an overtly military parade, and why was that? And secondly, I said I was uncomfortable with the idea of gun carriages and tanks rolling down O'Connell Street past children, because I didn't see the point of that. So that was a reasonably held view, and it's not a slight in defence forces, and more importantly, not a slight on the brave men or women who would have died or been hurt in defence of this country and peace around the globe. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie well, I received an email from Paddy Cavan. He's on the line now because he appears to have a major problem and I want to help. Paddy, welcome to the programme and what's the problem? Thanks very much, George. Well, basically the problem is I have an 18-year-old sister. She'll be 19 in two weeks' time. And for the past 10 days, she's been in intensive care in Chile. Um the problem is is she needs a special operation done to get to help with her airways and because Kerry General Hospital have cut back with, you know, all the cutbacks and everything, she'll need to be transported to either Cork University Hospital or Limerick. Now the issue at the moment is every hospital is overflowing and she can't get a bed. So what happens if she stays in Kerry? What happens? If she stays in Kerry for another two or three days, the most likely outcome is that she'll die. But she can't and die. That this this is the she can't. I if what you're telling me is true, and I'm taking what you're telling me at face value is true. We cannot allow her to die. No, we can't. And I don't know. I'm right here. Like I have, I'm looking at the proclamation here, and it talks about you know cherishing the children of the nation equally and. You know, the men in 1916... But, but hold on, let's stay on today because we have a problem and I want to get on to it. Your sister is 18, soon to be 19. She's in Kerry. She needs a specialised operation. She can't get in Kerry, but she could get in Cork or Limerick. She needs to be transferred. She does, and the issue at the moment is... There's no bed available. It's completely, they're overflowing. They're but, waiting but, for but a bed. You, you have a specialist or a doctor or a consultant or whatever in Kerry General. So is yes, he saying to you, Paddy, tough luck, your daughter's going to die. Is that what he's saying to you? He's not, no. What he's saying is we're trying our best to get a bed for Breda. We're doing everything we can. 
But at our best, if we can't get a bed, she's going to die. Exactly. That's exactly it. Now, now Limerick, uh, like Cork, I know, is an hour and a half from from uh, uh, Kerry. But I mean, we. What about Dublin? So, well, the issue with Dublin is we would we would go to Belfast, but the issue with travelling up as far as Dublin is, they feel she wouldn't make it, and that she the close the safest bet with her would be taking her to either Cork or Limerick, and that's as far as they're willing to go with her. All right, look, um, we're going to do something. Uh, I'm not saying we could do something that'll work, but we're going to do something. I just do not believe in Ireland today uh, that this can happen. I just don't believe it. I don't either. You know, my parents are devastated. They're trying everything they can. And at the moment, this is all I can do is to go public with it. They gave their blessings to it and they said, look, whatever can be done, they've tried everything. Okay, Paddy, uh, thank you uh, Thank you for contacting me. I, mean, I can't make any promises. I mean, I don't know. I've taken a face value what you said, but I'm getting on to it now. Thank you so much. Thank you, George. Well, we did something, first of all, but only the first step. We contacted the HSE, and here is their response. It is inappropriate for us to comment on individual cases. Okay, I buy that. We would advise the individual who contacted you to speak directly with the patient's medical team. We have contacted the two hospitals involved to get an update on the overall ICU situation, but we would stress that patients are prioritized to the basis of clinical need. What priority do you need, HSE, if somebody's going to die in three days because you don't have a bed? I would consider that priority. Uh, Advising the individual who contacted to speak directly with the patient's medical team, but that's what he's doing. He's clearly doing it on a daily basis. I asked him, and and, and he said the medical team are trying to get a bed. Get a bed, HSE. A child is going to die if the information we've been given is correct. Now, do something and let me know what you're doing. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie all right, a huge reaction to that piece on Longford. By the way, we were in Balbriggan tomorrow. Uh, grew up in Longford in the 80s and 90s. The place is unrecognisable because of the disproportionate immigration and unemployment. I won't go into Longford anymore, says Paul. Call it diversity all you like, but it's not a town I'm familiar with. Uh, in my town and county, Longford school closed when people took kids out when the migrants came, says uh, and why don't the Irish people of Longford do what the rest of the racist Irish do who don't want foreigners living amongst them is open a gale skull says Joe by the way after 6 o'clock the um, US ambassador to Ireland uh, will join me and Philip Malloy will be here with movies and television but now in the Newbridge area five young men have tragically taken their own lives in the last month. Uh, This is uh, described as suicide clustering. I'm joined to explain it by Paul Kelly, founder and chief executive of the suicide support charity, Console. 
Uh, Paul, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you, George. Uh, what is this a recognisable theory? Uh, suicide cluster. Well, sometimes even in this case in Newbridge, it could be just a perceived perception. You know, when all the evidence comes out, eventually it might not be the case. But you know, when when it happens, it's quite traumatic for the community, and the community can be very traumatised, and it can be highly charged. Emotional atmosphere can be created, and it can also create contagion if there's somebody vulnerable or impressionable or somebody who has, you know, might have a might have a high risk factor to suicide. One thing we know in this country um, that we it, it, suicide affects disproportionately young men. Yes. Isn't that right? That's that's correct. That's correct. Now, now um, young men also might be more impressionable. Wouldn't that be so? Like, I mean, is that part of the clustering thing? Be, There's an impression created. Yes, I think I think young men are, can be quite vulnerable in a sense because, you know, by our nature, men, you know, you know, we can talk about if, if, there, if a guy, if a young man is going through emotional or psychological distress, they find it very difficult to talk about it or to seek help because they see it as a weakness. Yes. And, you know, that's where the problem lies. And I suppose also we don't want to normalise suicide. We need to get we get the message out to young people in particular. You know, there's so much help out there and hope and support for them. Um, but you do get young people who feel that, you know, that, they're, that, that they just can't cope with a particular crisis. It's all to do with coping, coping, coping skills, resilience to life's problems. And that's something that maybe should be taught at a very early age around positive mental health, youth mental health, encouraging to to, to realise that life can be difficult, that we all experience crisis in our lives. It's part of our shared humanity. But the important thing is not to get stuck there to seek help and talk. Yeah, but uh, this cluster, like this word didn't just come up this week. Presumably mm. it's recognised oh, it as is. as uh, an event that can happen. It, it is recognised and research has, has, there has been a lot of research done on clustering and, and, can, and, and, and the problem with clustering again is the whole issue around contagion that it can spread. We often see it in a school community where a student dies by suicide, you know, that is, you know, that the important thing is to recognise that a suicide has taken place, a student maybe has died and there has to be good sound policies, procedures and protocols in place within the school community to support the school community. And that's why in Ireland now we'd have, um, we, we'd encourage to have the schools that, and they, most of the schools would have those policies in place and then the, the, the NEPS, the psychological service would come in and support the school. But also, you know, to prevent contagion and there has to be a multidisciplinary approach to that to support but the community. If, if it's, it's hard to, to understand something like taking one's own life, which is a very unnatural thing to do, and it's a very unnatural thing for a young man to do with his whole life in front of him. Mm. Uh, it's I'm just it's hard for us in the ordinary community who who, have, who don't have any, who don't work in that area like you do to see how somebody else might look at that and in some way think this may be a good idea for my particular problem, which is, in a sense, what contagion means, doesn't it? That's right, because, you know, there's the problem around, you know, normalising suicide. That yeah. young people can see, for instance, that this is, this, and of course, it is the ultimate solution to a problem. Yeah. But we need to get the message out there that, there's, that there is help there, not to suffer in silence, to talk. I mean, I lost my own little sister a couple of years ago to suicide at the age of 21. And, you know, like most families, and even in, like these families in Newbridge, we were left with the leg of suicide which is the why you know why did Sharon do it you know was their love not enough as a family and 
if only we could have um, if, we, if only we could have if only we'd have known that she was in crisis we would have moved to heaven and to I, I think that uh, I, and, and thank you for, for talking yeah. on a personal basis but I, I often think the collateral damage to use an awful phrase is in many ways worse because because the living then still have it it never goes away for the living the family and and there must be uh, this intense feeling of well maybe I should have done something yeah. or, or whatever I think just and now we have a town like Newbridge like not a huge place mm. Everybody knows these people, one presumes. Wouldn't that be right? Well, I'm quite sure it's such a yeah. small, tightly yeah. knit community. And yeah. the impact that has is quite is quite enormous for the community and the devastation that brings. And then if you've got vulnerable people, you know, they need to be you know, identified and supported and protected. Um, I think, you know, what's very hard for families is the element of choice, the fact that your loved one chose to die. And that sense of failure that you feel, like I felt when Sharon died, like as her big brother, that I couldn't save her. And um, the guilt that brings. Um, and it can be, you know, a more protracted grief, a more complicated grief for that for that very purpose. And I think that's, that, you know, that's why in our work in Console, we meet people who, who have been bereaved through suicide, who are very much at risk of suicide themselves. All right. know, now, if we that. look at the specific in the case in Newbridge, in the space for a month, five suicides. Yes. Um, what advice would you have to a community like Newbridge if, if, if there is a contagion or if there is a cluster? What, what, well, you know, it's uh, very hard to work it, it's, out it, that. Isn't it's it? very hard to work it out. But you know, we would be suggesting that there is a community response. I mean, yes. really, that you bring together the, the key, the, the, the main stakeholders in the community. We'll say like the Gardaí, like the GPs, like the mental health services, uh, counsellors like ourselves who work in, in the coalface every day to put in place, a, a, you know, a, a response to that crisis. If, if and this, this happens all the time in communities when we, we, we call it critical instance response in console yes. where we go into a community and we support them through it and especially people who identify with the deceased if, if they're vulnerable or at risk that they're that they're that they're that they're that they're, 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 they're assessed and, and supported Yeah because modern society is quite different I think and less helpful to suicide because I mean you, you whatever you say about about the Catholic Church there was a time when somebody might say I'll go to the priest do you know what I mean they, even the medical profession because now of the pressure on doctors they're running patients through their list they have less time for just some kid who comes in and says how are you doc can I talk to you the, the, many of the old kind of staple places we went for advice have gone have they not? That's right and you know, you know that's true and you know that's a big problem because you know um, you know we, we see in console we're a free service so we, we'd be encouraging people to contact people like us that they get immediate help and support G- and give me a number won't you yes it's a 1-800-247-247 it operates 24 hours a day it's a clinical service we've got counsellors and clinicians on the phone offering you know it's not just a listening service it's it's a, it's a counselling service and okay. they can refer in so that's basically 1-800-247-247 that's correct and, and our website is www.console.ie All right. Well, uh, thanks so much for coming in to the community in Newbridge. We wish them well and we hope some of the the ideas and thoughts of Paul Kelly there, the founder of Chief Executive of Consult, of some help. And don't forget the number again, uh, 1-800-247-247. 
The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie all right, welcome back to the Right Hook with George Hook. Delighted to welcome to the studio um, the Ambassador of the United States of America to Ireland, Kevin O'Malley. Mr. Ambassador, welcome to the programme. Great to be here, George. How are you? I'm well, but how long have you been here now in Ireland rather than the studio? I have been um in the studio just a few minutes, and I've been in Ireland about a year and a half now as ambassador. But you've kind of been a little different, I think, uh, having seen a lot of them over the years. Um, you've been traveling a lot in Ireland. I have been traveling a lot in Ireland and enjoying Was every- that a, a positive decision by you? Um, well, we've invited as many people as we can to that beautiful house in Phoenix Park, and the people that we can invite there, I go out and see. So we, uh, it, it is a conscious decision that I wanted to make sure that uh, the message of the United States gets delivered all, all over this wonderful country. Now, one of the things, of course, that that we, it's very important to our economy is this whole uh Direct investment into Ireland, which the yes. U.S. U.S. companies make it. Without U.S. companies, this would be a very different country. Um, there is a bit of a conflict, though, for America. I mean, I remember being in Denver uh, at at the Democrat first conference, where where uh, the then. Uh, Barack Obama uh, became uh, the, the his party's nomination for president, and I was he there was too. and he was talking about it in his speech, uh, the issue about companies going abroad and that sort of thing. There is a, there is still a conflict in the USA. So many of major companies are are in Europe and particularly in Ireland. Well, no, we want we want American companies uh, to expand. That's that's part of the uh, that's part of the process of bringing prosperity and, and in, in, in Ireland uh, really a joint prosperity between the United States and Ireland. What the president has spoken out against uh, is, are, are, are things that are just done for tax reasons, uh, brass plated, uh, just changing an address rather than creating jobs or creating prosperity. The idea of, of uh, for example, an Intel coming here to Ireland and investing so much money in their facility and hiring so many people and, and creating not only jobs, but very good jobs where, where the workers have a real swagger in their steps. That's part of America. That's We, we like that. We encourage that. Intel, in order to expand and to become a better con- company, needed to needed to come to a place like Ireland. Now that that's that's a good thing and and it's uh, and it's worked out for for um for Ireland. There are 200 Irish 250 now Irish companies prospering in the United States. Um and you know so much so that currently today um there are more Americans working for Irish companies in the United States than there are Irish people working for American companies in Ireland. I, I'm familiar with that because in, in just a couple of weeks, I go to Boston with the Gateway to Europe group, uh, attempting to bring more more business and companies to Ireland. So I see it and, and I understand that. The role of the ambassador here... Uh, 
this is nothing to do with your predecessors, but it has something to do with you. I talked about you going around the country, but I also get a sense when you're talking to me that you kind of see yourself as ambassador with a small A, that you kind of see fostering the relations of the American companies here with, with the Irish people, and then in turn maybe pleading our case in Washington, no? Did you do that for us when you were there on Patrick's Day? We we sent to the president, we need a few more companies in Ireland? Or? Well, um, I, I do that, but I will tell you that um, that you all do it better than I can do it. Um, you know, the Irish lobby is, uh, is uh, quite powerful and uh, quite influential uh, in the United States, and that's a good thing. Uh, people listen to uh, lawmakers, uh, in the United States, the president uh, in the United States listens to uh, the Taoiseach. They listen to the influential uh, Irishmen and women that come into our country, and it's a, it's a very good thing. Because, um, I mean, the word Irish-American, as you well know, Mr. O'Malley, <laughs> where did the O'Malley's come from anyway? Westport. Oh, that, oh see, if, when you were in the West, when you were in Mayo in Castle Bar, you went on to Westport then, did you? I've been to Westport uh, many times i've been to to mayo many times and i've been i i've been almost everywhere several times now okay but but there's there's real trace is there in westport the, of the o'malley my grandparents uh emigrated uh with the seven children from westport about 100 years ago oh, so right. uh they came to chicago they went directly they didn't stay on the east coast at all they went to the midwest uh proceeded to have eight more children and um at the, they had just completed that project uh, just about the time that the Great Depression hit the United States. With so, 15 kids. 15 kids. My grandfather and grandmother were not educated. They didn't have, um, when they left uh, through Cove after they left Westport, they did not have um, uh, any education. They were um, they were very poor on the, the manifest that uh, the Taoiseach actually got for me. Uh, it listed their names and the fact that they had the equivalent of $20. When they left, uh, when they left Ireland to go to the United States, so they would have come through Ellis Island. They did. Yeah. Now, he just I don't want to hang on about a hundred years too much, but it's interesting uh, about for many Irish people about the movement of the Irish to America. Irish people from certain counties or towns or whatever went to certain parts of America. I think they're right? sure that makes sense. So the the the, the male people kind of went to the Midwest and Chicago. That's true, and also I think that um, by the time that my grandparents arrived, there were lots of Irish in, on the East Coast, and it was just easier for them uh, to assimilate uh, further yeah. on into the Midwest. So. Um, now, your kids, I mean, you're talking about grandparents, and all of us, like, kind of, we know about our grandparents sure. quite a bit, usually. But now your children are kind of removed again. How do you, how do you keep that Irish thing going, then? Well, what we've, I mean, we've, I've actually done it as a project because I feel very, very strongly that the, the relationship between the United States and Ireland that I have enjoyed my entire life, I want to make sure that my children and my grandchildren uh, enjoy. And we have uh, adopted a program which I call Creative Minds, which is our way of using the language of my children and my grandchildren, uh, music, technology, entrepreneurism, to connect up the I next... I wanted to get yeah. there. What are you doing with Creative Minds? What exactly is it? It, it is... Uh, la last year, we started it in, in January, so it's just a little over a year old. We've done about 19 different programs. We invite 
um, creative Americans to come to Ireland. They're, they're all volunteers. Um, these people are, we, we cannot pay them. Uh, they come, they put on either performances or discussions that we often do at, uh, at my residence in Phoenix Park. And we also go around and do master classes in various parts of Ireland. And the idea is to, is to connect up uh, using the vehicle that the younger people are interested in, music and arts and, and uh, technology and entrepreneurism, as I mentioned, to try to, to try to find new collaborations between Ireland and America because um, your country is changing. Um, one in six people born in Ireland today are not Irish. Um, our country is changing. They're, you're not exporting O'Malley's anymore. There won't be people like me growing up in the United States who, you know, I, speaking to my grandparents and my aunts and my uncles, I didn't think of Ireland as a foreign country. Uh, to me, Ireland was part of who I was. Well, your predecessor in office, Dan Rooney, felt exactly the same way. I mean, we're we're very lucky in Ireland to have ambassadors like you and Dan Rooney, who who actually have a sense of belonging to this country. Well, it's not an accident. I think that yeah. uh, Irish Americans have a tendency to show up here. Uh, it's uh, it, it's it, no other country has that sort of uh, has that sort of a. Uh, uh, a tie, but that's the way that's the so way it worked out. You're going to continue creative minds. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. As long as you're here, and we have a clip, and, and, and hopefully after we, I'm here. Yeah, Ambassador, let's listen to this. Our Pres- ambassador to Ireland, Kevin O'Malley. Hey. Uh, as you can see and hear, although Kevin's only been in Ireland for 18 months, he has crammed in almost eight years of work. One of his legacies will be his Creative Minds Initiative, in which he's been busy connecting the next generation of Irish and American leaders who will be uh, singing in this room someday. So thank you, Kevin. Uh, Your Mayo grandparents would be proud. Strong uh, endorsement by President Obama for for your work here. The the Irish American thing you talk about. I mean, we have we've you have a vice president in the shape of Joe Biden. I mean, who really is the real McCoy? His mother's a Finnegan. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So this Irish the. The situation of Irish companies going there, like last year I went to California, I remember, with this Gazeway group, and the amount of business, I'm talking to these Irish people, mostly young Irish people, who've set up these companies, because that's the one thing about America, you do have a business philosophy, don't you? Well, we have a philosophy of getting things done. Yeah. Uh, that really is something that I happen to be proud of. It's it's a can-do place. It always has been. Uh, hopefully, it always it always will be. And the Irish that have come to the U.S. I mean, f- from my grandparents on to the person who f- who's going to take the Aer Lingus flight tomorrow to set up a small business in Denver, uh, come with that attitude that this is the place to come to get it done and. Uh, there's been so much success um, 
you know, we, we reward success in the U.S. We don't punish failure um, as you but sometimes that's a, do yes. here. That's the biggest single difference, I think. Rather than reward success, you don't punish failure. But I, but I find, for example, at the Web Summit, uh, I've been to two of them now. When, when, I, when I walk through there and I see those young people, the, they, they understand, most of those people understand that the gadget or the widget that's in front of them isn't the ultimate gadget or widget. They understand that there that failure is a is a process. Uh, I mean, the, it, people fail on their way to being successful, and that's what they're. That's what the Web Summit and those people are doing. I think that you're going to find that that attitude uh, is really changing with the young people, and I really want to uh, hook into that with um, because with this Creative Minds program. Yeah, because I I think that um, y- you know our our kids in schools um, don't have the same sort of mindset as their p- grandparents certainly who sort of wanted to stay in Ireland at all costs because they'd been brought up on the famine and emigration. These kids have a totally different view because they can also go to America and be back six hours later if they so want. Um, that the, uh, One of the things with this creative mind and developing it more is, is, is explaining to our children the fantastic opportunities that America offers. I, th- I don't think that needs to be explained. I think people understand it. What we want to try to do is show them precisely how it works so that if a young we had for example just to name one uh, we we had a a restaurateur uh, here by the name of Danny Meyer and he owns a number of very successful restaurants in in the United States he was he 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 put on a a creative minds program at the residence and also did some other discussions around uh, around town where he was talking about how restaurants uh, can be innovative and how innovation is really um, helpful. And he's done things like uh, he, he is the leader of the anti-tipping movement in the United States. He just banned tipping in all of his restaurants, you know, which is a big American issue. Um, so if you go to one of Danny Meyer's fancy restaurants or you go to one of his uh, fa- uh, casual food restaurants, there is no gratuity added to the bill. Um, doing something creative, something different, taking risks. And uh, we want to we want to connect up the, the next group of risk takers in Ireland with the risk takers in the United States. And, and we want to have this relationship that you've profited from your whole life and that I've profited from my whole life. I want to make sure that that gets handed down to the next generation. Long may it continue. Just uh, 16 months in office now. Uh, America's ambassador to Ireland, Kevin O'Malley. Ambassador, thank you for joining me. Always a pleasure. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie I'm joined in the studio by the Fine Gael MEP for Dublin South, uh, Deirdre Clune. Uh, Deirdre Clune, welcome to the studio. Thank you. Can I say Ireland South? Ireland South. I think you should say Ireland South. It'd be Cork <laughs> and all that. I'm very proud of it. Yeah, it'd be Cork I and all that. I to slip out Sorry, of sorry. I don't know whether that slip was Freudian or otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Ireland Thank South, you. of course. Munster, uh, Cork, um, Barry's Tea, all that well sort done, of good stuff. I'm really worried because we saw how a loony was able to get on an Egyptian airline, uh, not terrorist in the slightest, just mm. A loony who with fake explosives and everything and force it to be diverted to Cyprus. Now, as a European MEP, 
your conscious things that should be happening aren't. What, what's That's not right, happening? Yeah. Well, I'm particularly concerned right immediately about a PNR piece of legislation, PNR, Passenger Name Record. It's been muted or proposed by the Commission since 2011. It is still stuck in Parliament and hasn't been approved by the Parliament. What it means essentially is that airlines would have to share with the security services, the names of passengers that are coming into and out of Europe on their airlines and their name, their origin, their destination and their passport number. I uh, just presumed this was happening already, I must no, say. No, it's not. It's quite amazing that it's not happened. In fact, um, if you look at, you hear, you're reading a lot now about the bombing in Brussels last week, Paris before Christmas. I mean, those, the people that carried out those bombs were actually European citizens. Um, and some of them had been to Syria training and come back in and out without being anybody knowing about it. They're free to do it, as you or I am. But uh, what were they doing in Syria? Uh, they're known as, we, call, we hear a lot of reports and talking to the European Parliament of uh, foreign fighters. So it's estimated like there's about two and a half thousand, well, no, probably more foreign fighters have gone from figures that the French released last week. I think it was uh, 2,000 from France. Uh, something like 1,600 UK, 800 Germany, 530 in Belgium. And they reckon that they, they, they travelled to Syria and at least half of them came back having fought in Syria. So the point is, if we had this PNR, passenger name uh, record legislation in place, then the police services that are charged with protecting European citizens would know about these people, would be able to say, hey, Helen, what's going on here? What are they doing travelling to Syria? What are they engaged in? Uh, we need to track these people. All right. Now, the way you see this manifest itself a lot, obviously, is on your passport because mm. you get stabbed. So uh, they, they, if you go into one country, uh, particularly say you're going to America, they can tell that this is your sixth trip to yeah. America, yeah. for argument's sake, mm. because you're stabbed. Um, but, but I just don't get... Why at this point we don't share this information? I mean, there must be a reason, though. There's a concern about data and privacy. There is a concern about that. But I would reckon this is I, I, it's basic information. It's your passport number. It is your name and your origin and your, your details of your flight and details of, of what, what But you're giving to. it away anyway. Think, you're giving it to the air. Exactly. You're giving it to the air. Anyway. So, I mean, I supported the group. I remember the EPP supported the European, the ECR, the Conservatives supported. But we had a vote on the 4th of November, the, or 4th of March, sorry, as re, before the, the Brussels attack. And this, to, to help put this on the agenda, this piece of legislation to finalise it. It's been approved by a committee in Parliament, fin- needs to be finalised by in the Parliament itself and it wasn't supported. But uh, who are the big opponents of this? I mean, well, a lot of us wouldn't be familiar mm, with European well, groups grouping. outside my group, actually, socialist groups, would, they're, they're, they're supported, they're opposed to it on privacy grounds, I think. It's, but and, is and it pr- primarily a sort of a, a, a left-right divide, in essence? Yeah, well, it? the is far right, all to the far right, where, where I sit, we sit middle, middle <laughs> in the Parliament, so on the far right, which would be Nigel Farage crowds, on the far left, uh, the the what they would call uh, the very far left communists is what would the word be used there but they 
they have they are opposed to to this. Now I hope I hope that we can get to the point now that it has been approved that we can finally approve it because all the governments across Europe want to do it and want to move forward with it. It's been it's been held up by the Parliament and the airlines and haven't objected. The have airlines they? have they have that information and should they do it in the US? They they do it elsewhere. I, I, I presume they're scratching their heads and saying, oh, how come the European services or security services don't ask us? Yeah, that? Well, that, they want it. The security yeah. services do want it. That's and, why I raised the question with you. And by the way, my guest is MEP for Ireland South, uh, Deirdre Clune. Um, Deirdre Clune, they, 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 I know the Americans do, but it's extraordinary how much information they have. I mean, they're at the other end of the kind of privacy yeah. thing, aren't maybe they? Maybe that is a concern. Yeah, I do. Is it, like we have to privacy is an issue and it needs to be protected your own personal privacy needs to be protected but I would think things like that it's not go, it's not for general consumption it's to give to the security services that are charged with protecting us information that can help them in tracking terrorists and I think um, for me from my point of view you know they, they, they're, they're very welcome to it I'd volunteer it myself um, in, in the, in I the think aim if of you protecting asked, citizens yeah, If you asked anybody boarding an aeroplane mm. I would suggest to you and you said to them listen would you prefer uh, the guards to know the name of everybody in the plane or would you not I think as you board it concentrates the mind wonderfully mm. like I never object to screening or searching my bag or anything because I think it's making it safer for me on yeah. the plane. Now, this is this makes it safer for passengers. I mean, I was appalled. Like, there's a fellow taking a selfie with a terrorist, on a so-called terrorist on the Egyptian flight and it's all over social media. I mean, this is making a mockery of the whole terrorism threat. Yeah, it's. Just, I mean, it's a, it's a serious threat. I mean, the fact this guy was in Egypt doesn't actually change the fact yeah. that he, he he might not have he been. Might have been in Egypt. He might not have been in Egypt. Right? Yeah. yeah. So security is important, and as more and more passengers are flying, are people using airplanes, and indeed uh, going to places like Syria, being trained in whatever they're being trained in, we need to make sure that we have the information to track them. And I think most people would want to, would recognise that that information could be shared, particularly with our security services. And but what are your point. chances of winning this vote I think the chances European are probably Parliament. we're moving closer to it, but it's been very, very slow. Uh, since 2011. Since, since 2011. First muted by the Commission. It's important. I mean, I, I know our, our own government and with... Um, Charlie Flanagan, Minister for Foreign Affairs, Francis Fitzgerald, Minister for Justice, has actually contacted us. Francis Fitzgerald previously written to MEPs to make sure you know this is important. It's important at a council level. They want to progress this. It's a small element in the fight against uh, terrorism, but you know, uh, let's do it. I think the public, the concerns about data and about your private private information being shared, and then you hear talk about maybe it'll be leaked from the security service. But I think you know that's another question. In principle. If we, this but, but the security services have a ton of information which if leaked could cause yeah, they could, one or other of us a problem we, but therefore we're never going to move forward if that's, if that's exactly, our view yes. we have to trust that's a different question and we have to trust them with that because they're established to protect us to gain information uh, to protect European citizens and protect us within Europe and I mean, there's another question then about the sharing of information across countries you, hear, you read a lot in the last number of months about the distrust between Belgium and Paris and not willing to 
to share information, we need to get to a point too where they Absolutely, will trust one because the whole issue, the whole issue in Belgium is is about the not sharing of, mm. of anti-terrorism information. Yeah. That's the whole problem because Belgium is such a fractured society. That's a big problem know? there. Yeah, it is a big problem. Has come out again. We we have read about it before Christmas after Paris. We're reading about it again this week okay. after Brussels. All right, my thanks to the uh, Fine Gael MEP for Ireland South, Deirdre Clough.